Hello everyone and welcome to Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the world now. Yes, the world. I'm your host, Charlie Chappell, and today we are going down under in part one of our two-hour international spectacular, where we talk with casting director and the president of the Casting Guild of Australia, Kirsty McGregor. I love Kirsty, and that is not me loving everything because I love everything. I love Kirsty's honesty and her integrity. She's forthright and I think has some really great insight into why casting directors may not receive the credit that they deserve. Because I also realize most of our audience is US-based. Kirsty has graciously given a bit of a breakdown of how the business of casting works in Australia and how it's different than things work here in the United States. Kirsty cast movies like the beautiful award magnet in 2016, Lion, 2010's Animal Kingdom, 2014's The Rover, the TV series Top of the Lake, and dozens of other projects. I think it is a pretty great episode, but I am biased, so let us know what you think, and I hope that you learn as much as I did. I'll be up front and say that I am woefully ignorant on Australian cinema and television, of course Which, you are. The whole world is. <laughs> and and I, I want to talk about that because everybody that I've asked, hey, this is who I'm interviewing this week. Do you have any insight on any of their work or, or any work in Australia? And most people are like, I know that movie. I know Lion. I know, I know a couple of these. And then nothing. Yeah. So I, I don't feel as bad as I did when I first started, but I still, it, it, it's a shame, I think. There's a whole continent's worth of ideas and stories that are kind of seemingly locked away from the rest of the world. So, actually, if you don't mind, I would kind of like to start on what's what's a good entry point into Australian cinema and television for somebody who doesn't have any knowledge of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Huh, I mean, we did some great films films in in the seventies. It, it was kind of a, a a golden era of of film. But I think. The you know there was a there was a period as well in the nineties early two thousands there were films like Priscilla Queen of the Desert mm -hmm. Muriel's Wedding Chopper uh, sure. so there were a bunch of films that they didn't it certainly didn't set the international box office on fire but they did very well here and they were critically lauded around the world and they okay. they launched uh, sort of set Russell Crowe. I mean, I think that I think that's a, a a good start thing because most of our audience is American at this point. What are some of the differences in the way? Because I know you've worked a little bit with the Hollywood system um, and and are a pretty big staple in the Australian system. What are some of the differences in the way that these two systems function? Are there many differences, or is it just a different place? Um, no, it is, it is very different because of volume. Like, our, I think our, the population of Australia is the population of LA. Okay. And if you, if you think about the, the popula population of LA sort of being a one industry town, obviously people do other things in LA, but it's sure. pretty, um, we're a much smaller industry and we also don't have the studio system. So we've got network television, but mm -hmm. we only really have, uh, we've got, three net, uh, commercial channels uh, and two that are government funded. And we've also got Foxtel, uh, which is great, and they're doing some high-end drama. Mm -hmm. But we have a far more limited number of avenues for people to actually get funding for television and film. 
Um, we, okay. we have kind of an excellent system for film funding in that uh, Screen Australia and the the state funding bodies will support films. Um, so you can actually go to the government for money and taxpayers put their money, you know, into back into the Australian film industry, but it's still very small and we don't have a studio system that if that fails, you go, that's fine though, I'm just going to, you know, get funded elsewhere privately. Sure. So the, the funding, I mean, I can't really speak to funding because I don't produce and that's one of the reasons I don't produce is because, you know, uh, it's so difficult to get a film made here and it can be as difficult to get your second film made here because you have to go back through the same avenues. And and in America, just, there's so many people and there's so many people on every job that you work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I might be doing a film and there's pretty much nobody that I need to speak to other than the director and producer and the wow. three of us will cast the film. A lot more red tape here in America. A lot more red tape. So the creative collaboration, I find, can be quite different in America and Australia for a casting director. So Um, potentially a little bit more stifled here in the States. I think probably, too, it will depend on what level you're working at. Uh, You know, the more experience you have, the more people might oh, she actually knows what she's talking about. But I think a lot of the time, younger producers and directors coming through, they don't actually know what a casting director does. Um, Yes. So I'd like to say it's surprising, but it's not surprising because they're not taught what we do. They don't seem to really be taught at film school. At film school seem to maybe have a casting director come and chat to people for an hour and that's about it. They don't go through a casting process with a casting director. Um, yeah, so they don't understand how collaborative it can be if they'll allow it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how well you can collaborate or how much you're stifled can also be up to individual directors and producers. So, sure. so yeah. with the with the idea of a lot of producers and directors and, and other people in the credits world not really knowing what casting directors do, that's kind of the impetus of this show. Uh, are there things that, and, and we'll kind of, we'll actually, we're going to jump around a little bit from your career to your early life and we'll, we'll go all over the place, but we're going to, we're going to go where the conversation takes us. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about, uh, you are the president of the casting guild of Australia, um, Mm -hmm. which is, as far as I understand, uh, similar to the casting society of America here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you are the president of the casting guild uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious what it's all about and how did you get involved? Uh, I was involved from the beginning. It was about um, four or five years ago. So we're a very new guild. There's been a casting society in America for, you know, years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the casting community in Australia has all been, always been quite small and it's always been uh, very independent, not lots of people reaching out to one another and, and supporting one another. I wouldn't say it was because it was competitive, though, of course, some people are and any, well, any industry is competitive, I guess, when Absolutely. you are competing for jobs. 
but we didn't have anyone that we could speak to about, you know, we don't have any rights, we didn't have a guild, we don't have agents. That's another thing in Australia. In the UK and the US, a lot of, or the majority of casting directors have an agent yeah. to negotiate their deals and things like that. And here people still go, um, well, I've, I've discussed it, saying we really should have agents. We shouldn't be speaking for ourselves when we negotiate our deals. This is why our deals are notoriously bad. Um, but everybody here goes, oh, why, why would an agent have an agent? It's like because we're not agents. <laughs> we don't represent anybody. We are creative collaborators, the same as, you know, the costume designer. or Yeah. But everybody else has somebody to negotiate their deals. Um, and a lot of people here... I've talked to other cast. I've gone off topic. Sorry. No, is... no, no, no. This is this is one hundred percent. So, so just as you, just so you know, this whole show yeah. is all off topic. Like it, it's okay. all on topic, but off topic. <laughs> We're going to talk about your movies. We're going to talk because this is important. I think that this is really yeah. important. Um, the fact that they that a lot of people still consider consider casting directors agents of mm. any sort is kind yeah. of mind boggling because that's absolutely yeah. not what you guys do. <laughs> no, no. And I think because historically casting directors in Australia have also um, negotiated the actors deals on behalf of producers, mm -hmm. which doesn't really happen anywhere else. It can, um, but you also get paid for it. And here it just started being thrown into deals going, well, no, you do that. And it's kind of, it's an entire job yeah. in itself. And we're not in control of the budget. So that's another thing. You end up just being a go-between between a line producer and an agent. Everyone's yelling at you because they're like, no, they have to do it for this. You're like, I'm, we never quoted on behalf of the actors. We don't quote their fees mm -hmm. uh, or anything like that. We don't do the budget. So, And then it lands on us to actually negotiate them. So this is something else that we've been trying to stop doing with support of the guild but yes people here will say well you shouldn't you know you shouldn't have an agent because you're an agent and we're we're not agents why do you think but that that is the i'm sorry to interrupt but why, why do you think that that no. is the case well it's it's small at here and also because we're so isolated and it's becoming less so in the last few years because of the internet the internet everywhere has made everything far more global yeah um you know, I used to do searches on American things, but it would only be if they were desperate and you'd be having to put people on tape, literally on tape, and then you'd have to have it transferred to NTSC and then you'd have to have co different copies made if more than one person needed to even look at it or there was couriers and it would take three days to get to America. You know, all that's, of course, gone by the wayside and they can be like, hey, do a search for us tomorrow. And we're like, okay, because you can do everything so quickly and just have it in people's inboxes. Um, but historically we were so isolated as a country and not speaking to our, um, colleagues. We didn't have colleagues really in the UK or in the States and producers here are great people, but everybody just works the way that they know. And sure. I had casting directors say to me, well, uh, you know, so many people go, but that would be a conflict of interest. If we had agents, how can we like... It'll be a conflict because then we're actually working with those agents to book their actors. And it's like, yep, but so are directors. There are lots of agents that represent the directors yeah. and the actors, and that's not seen as a conflict. And, you know, other people and uh, a few casting directors being told by producers, oh, no, it would completely put me off you if I had to deal with an agent. I wouldn't huh. Huh. I want to work with you because I don't like dealing with agents. I mean, it's 
kind of the point of the agent. It's kind of there to be the, the one that you have to negotiate with. I, you know, I wouldn't want to be an agent. I think they've got the hardest job in the industry, certainly in Australia. Um, Why is that? Well, because they actually do the negotiating as well. They, they do everything for their 10%. In America, there's agents and there's managers, but then there's lawyers and business affairs. And yeah. I can be dealing with an agent in the States and it gets pretty hardcore. And then you them an actor finally books the job and they go, great, we're going to put you over to the lawyers. And I think, what did you actually do other than just make the appointment and make things difficult? Like you're not actually even negotiating anything. Yeah. But I don't work in that system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know what else they do. But, yes, there's managers and agents and everything, whereas here the agent has to do everything. Yeah. A lot of the time they even organise the publicity for people. Like they're just a, it's a, it's a one-stop shop and it's a really hard job and I think agents get blamed a lot of the time by actors um I get actors coming in who haven't learned or you know have no idea what they're doing I'm like oh you know did you see the scene and they're like oh my agent didn't send it to me like did you ask them Uh because that's your job is to know what you're auditioning for and they just they try and pass the buck and that makes me really cross because even if it's true which I would say is only 10% of the time Uh Agents send the material. It's you that hasn't prepared and you're trying to blame somebody else in the moment. Agents don't get to do anything good except tell somebody that they got the job. (laughs) Um, I argue with directors all the time. Directors are like, I'm going to call so-and-so and tell them they got the job. I'm like, you are doing no such thing. The agent gets to tell them that. That's the only good thing they get to do in a day. So do not take that. The happiest part of their day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Though I did, I was with an actor the other day in person and I just offered them a job on something else and they didn't know yet. And I, like, literally happened to see them five minutes later. I was like, I'm going to tell him. So I did. And I was like, but when your agent tells you, pretend you don't know. (laughs) I wanted the moment that I got to see your face because I never get that either, you know. But but then let let your agent have that moment as well. Yeah. So, God, way off topic. No, not at all. Not at all. The Guild. Setting up the guild, I um, myself, well, basically, I contacted a couple of colleagues and said we really should do something because I was with a a friend of mine who's an actor, but he's also a writer and he'd been writing for TV. And he was having dinner or something. He said, "Oh, somebody sent me something and they wanted me to write a spec script." And then they told me how much they wanted me to to pay me. And he said, I was like, have you not heard of the Writers Guild? <laughs> and everything in me just went, oh, my God, we need that. We need that. We have no protection. Mm-hmm. I don't know other casting directors even being paid. And you have producers coming to you and going, this is what it is. And in Australia, a lot of the time, you're expected to just work indefinitely. They give you a set fee. Mm-hmm. Happens in the UK a bit too on different projects. Um, but they go, this is the money that we have and – it doesn't matter if they push back. They could change the brief completely. They can recast. They can do whatever they want, and you're just expected to keep working. And when you try and push back and go, ah, oh, well, no, that's – and they go, well, we don't have that in the budget, so do you want to do the job or not? And yeah. we have no and, – and that's still happening. Even though we have a guild, it's such baby steps. We're all starting to talk to each other and going, okay, we need to really push back. If they want to negotiate us to negotiate deals for actors – we can do it, but it's going to cost them more. We need to put more in the budget for us to do that. Yeah. And more often than not, they go, oh, well, no, the line producer can do that because that's kind of 
it's faster than them. They're not dealing with a go-between. They're the one that's in charge of the budget. And we'll say we can advise what we think an actor should be paid. So the Casting Guild of Australia was established in 2013. Mm. So it is it is fairly fairly new. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very new. I actually thought it was 2014, but 2013 probably sounds right because I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I was I was on the I've been on the executive committee um, since the beginning, okay. and this is my I'm going to my third year as president. Hmm. After which I'll be uh, stepping down because I you know life. I've got to have some time. But we've had some good we've had some good wins lately. The the Australian Academy, which is the equivalent of your Oscars, yeah. they're called the Actors. The Actor Awards, it's very hard to say because it sounds like it's acting awards, but it's actually A-A-C-T-A. Uh, okay. Is the, yeah, the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts. No, the Australian, uh, you know what I mean anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actor. Uh, but everyone's always hated it because it used to be the AFI. It used to be the Australian Film Institute. Yeah. But then they bought television into it, so it's become the actors. Anyway, we campaigned for a couple of years for a casting award to be introduced, and last year we were finally successful. Congrats. Uh, That's amazing. I know. It was amazing. Because um, there's still the campaign going on here for yeah. a casting Oscar, and I still I don't understand why it's not a thing. It should be. There's a lot of people who fight against it, and it's. I think that's wrong. I think that casting yeah. should get a lot more credit for what they do. It's because people don't know what we do. Yes. And that's, yes. that is yeah. bottom line. What, you know, what we did here, I was to the, actor, uh, the, the, the directors of the academy and we sat down and we had a conversation about it because they, they were like, well, but why should there be a casting award? And, who, you know, and, and we talked through it and they were really great and, and responsive. Um, but they're also limited. It's difficult to introduce new awards. And so then I got everybody on board to write, so all of the other members or a lot of the other members to write, to ask for letters from their famous friends, you know, directors, yeah. producers, acts in the industry to write letters of support. And we had a lot of support. So I kind of was able to go back to the Academy with kind of a, a, a pile of letters and go, look, all of the famous Australians think there should be, you know, in the industry, yeah. you know, we're saying like, we can't believe there isn't an award. So that was good. And then I went and spoke to the board, the actor board, um, about it. And I was asked in that meeting, the first question was, but what do you do? Uh, literally, they said, so but just, just tell us just what, what exactly do you do in 10 words or less? In 10 words and or less. In 10 words or less. And, um, <laughs> and I was asked by somebody that I greatly respect and it was a, was not in any way uh, being dismissive. It was a yeah. genuinely curious question, but it was also, uh, and maybe I should figure out how to describe what we do in ten words or less. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's difficult because it is such a process, and yeah. it is a collaborative process. Uh, but it was good, and there was the head of a couple of different networks are on the board, and other people, but a, a lot, and you know. A, a, very senior agent, a film critic. So people from different parts of the industry. But ultimately they want to know with awards, they get very, and casting, they get really stuck on, but who made the final decision? Yeah. Whose idea was it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't, 
matter, does it? It's you know, head the department. You are if you know if you guys want to go and cast your film without a casting director, good luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody in in every department create um, in a collaborative fashion. Writers always get get credited for writing a film. I know so many times that, you know, it might have been rewritten, rewritten by actors and the director or whatever, but the writer still gets the original credit. They're still the writer on the film. The editor gets the credit. Most of the time, not most of the time, I shouldn't say, but a lot of the time, the director's sitting alongside the editor throughout the whole editing process saying, what about that? And put that there. And the costume design, production design, it all comes down to a collaboration. And the director, in most instances, will have the final say, maybe not the final cut. Um, Sure. (laughs) that then then goes somewhere else but for some reason when people are talking about actors it becomes very personal Mm -hmm. and I think it's because this is going to sound stupid but actors are people so a a costume isn't a person an edit isn't a person the Uh. director at the end of it doesn't have to say yeah I actually never really thought Meryl Streep wasn't I didn't think she was quite right for the role, but the casting director went, I know she's never done, she's never sung in a movie before, but maybe she it could be great. Who knows where the ideas come from, even when they are really famous people yeah. or not. But directors don't want to ever admit it wasn't their idea because they're talking about a person that they went on set with, they had a relationship with that person. They don't ever want to go, it wasn't my idea or I actually didn't think they were right. Yeah, It takes... Yeah. It takes a really, really generous director to ever admit that, and it doesn't happen very often at all. I've been at so many Q&As where my role has, you know, you're sitting in the audience and my role is reduced to nothing. It's like you yeah. were not yeah. a part of the process at all because the director will go, oh, yeah, we just, you know, I just knew from the start that the moment I saw them on, you know, their audition, if they even admit that they auditioned. And I appreciate that's how they're telling the story or they're retelling the story because they're protecting the feelings of the actor that they've got a relationship with now. They're selling the film. They don't ever want to go, well, actually, we offered it to three other people and they all passed or whatever the actual story is. But as a result, the casting director's role is reduced to being a voiceless, faceless um, non-entity basically. What so, sort of things are you guys doing as part of the casting guild to, mm-hmm. to to help spread the word about what it is that you guys do and and try to make progress? Well, I think introducing the award at, uh, at our Academy, Australian Academy Awards, I'll say Australian Academy Awards instead of the Actor Awards, um, <laughs> is a start because Some people as well, I had people say to me, oh, we don't need an award. We're just happy when, you know, if directors come back to us. And they get all very shy about it. And so it's not not about patting yourself on the back. That Mm. is when something actually goes into awards contention, people start recognising it and respecting it as a part of the collaboration. Yeah. And if there's an award for it and if people have won some awards, these new directors and producers coming up through the ranks might actually start having some respect for it and acknowledging it. And I'm not saying that they don't respect it behind closed doors, but it's never expected that they talk about it. Yeah. There was an article recently um, on a film that I'd just done and they were just announcing the three lead cast that have been 
put on. It was like director finds Dreamcast, yada, yada, yada. And the producers sent the script to these actors and they all jumped on board straight away because they loved it. It was like, the lie, the lie. You know, it was a collaboration and, you know, lengthy, lengthy discussions about the type of people who would be right for the role. And they didn't just come to me and say, send the script to so-and-so. You know, in fact, one of them came because I organised a read-through at my house uh, and she's a well-known Australian actor and mm-hmm. she just happens to be a friend of mine as well. So I just asked her to come to this read-through as a favour to help us so that the director could hear it out loud. And she loved the script so much, she called me the next day and went, um, can I throw my hat in the ring to play that role? I really loved it. And I was like, brilliant, yes, yes you can. And then still you're mitigated after that, you're still mitigated to the producers sent the scripts out and they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. And that, that's part, it, of, that's and that's part of the press release. You know, yeah. publicists yeah. don't put us in a press release. We, we see, you know, films announced and the cast are announced. In that same article, they mention the, the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Cinematographer is going to be so-and-so. And even though the entire article had been about casting, the casting. They mention the DP who hasn't even done anything yet and they don't mention the casting director. We're not even put in the press release. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as part, I just went to Sundance because we had three films at Sundance. You we were like, God, when are we going to have three Sundance? films? Yeah, at three films at Sundance. I was like, well, that's never going to happen again. I'm going to go and play in the snow. <laughs> and that was great, but it was really depressing as well. I mean, it was, it was brilliant, but for casting directors, every program I looked at, one of the programs had the location manager listed in the credits and I think maybe three percent of the film I went through the whole thing just just see who the casting director and maybe five percent and so it's up to it's not just the Sundance people it's up to the publicists to tell them who they want listed in the program and they don't do it I saw a brilliant film that I loved and it ended up winning the audience award I think um or maybe I don't know won something a film called Britney Runs a Marathon, and I loved it. And I, I was just watching it. I was thinking, oh, my God, who cast it? Again, having a quick look in the program, I was like, no, it's not there. So I had to wait until in, in credits, credits and saw, yeah. yeah, Laura Rosenthal and Mary Beth Fox okay. uh, yeah. in New York cast it. So I could email them straight away and go, oh, my God, amazing job, guys. That was such a great film, mm-hmm. beautifully cast, but not mentioned in the credits. It's like, ugh. And a low-budget film as well where it takes a lot more work too sometimes to to pull those casts together. Mm -hmm. People don't know what we do. That's basically, hey, I think, I don't know, I think some people say they're glorified secretaries. They just make phone calls. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, I I did uh, the last uh, episode we did, we uh, interviewed Jane Jenkins, um, Mm. who is huge casting director. Uh, it was incredible to sit down with her. She, when I first, my first ever trip to LA, I got in touch with Janet and Jane just to say, hi, I'm coming to America and I just, you know, I'm such a fan of your work. And they went, let us take you out to lunch. I, I just, I felt like I was having lunch with rock stars. I was like, oh my God, Princess Bride and everything. <laughs> and they were so lovely uh-huh. and they were having a terrible day. They had just finished a session they were doing a movie for someone and I won't name names but they were looking for a tiny role somebody that just basically had to say hi there and that was it Uh and they said like Uh just 88 people because the director keeps going yeah she told that story and I'm like did she (laughs) did she she say did she name names (laughs) I was there that day I had lunch with them 
And then I saw the final film. You can't even see the guy. Oh, that's and I'm like, so this funny. is Jane Jenkins and Janet Hershenson. This is insane that they can't just show two people and go, these two people are really capable. Thank you. Moving on. Uh-huh. Um Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no, no worries at all. Like, I I do too. She was was lovely to talk to. I think we ended up going for like an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, I have trouble trouble stopping. And she can can just tell stories. She's got so many stories. Um, You you know, you see her personality really come out. And her book is incredible. Uh, It was just a really wonderful conversation. And, And one of the things that even she talked about was, you know, some of these big directors and producers that she's worked with, people who were... Yeah. You know, doing millions and millions of dollar budgets have no clue what casting does. And 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 that's still, yeah. even after they've worked with them for years, they still don't get it. And I think that's a shame. I hope that this show uh, helps with that. And I hope that, you know, with the with the new Casting Guild and with Casting Society of America really trying to up the uh, awareness of casting directors, mm. that it, it can that can change and and hopefully yeah. here in the coming years that will change. I think it has to change to I think sometimes I sometimes I kind of understand it because I've worked on a few American jobs mm-hmm. that it is so much just about volume yeah. about seeing as many people as possible that I think I, I, I'm, I'm not feeling like a casting director in any way, shape or form. I actually do just feel like I'm just putting people on tape and I'm sending them to you and that is it because you don't have any interest in having a conversation with me or having a creative collaboration and I just go, all right, just get paid and, mm-hmm. and move on if that's the way that you want to work. But I feel you know, casting directors, when you're out working at the top of your game and, you know, and it takes a long time to get good at it. Yeah, it I does. Think. I mean, and you can have it, you can have skills when you're younger and you can have taste, but there is still, there is so much to learn. And I think a lot of people, a lot of directors and producers are really missing out on allowing themselves a collaboration. I think so too. I, th- I think that's a that's one of the most important points that uh, I think can come up on this podcast and has a few times that it is mm. such a collaborative process, and and that's why I think that's why can we all be. get in it, that's why we all get into this industry. If you want to if you want to do something on your own, go paint a picture, go learn an instrument, yeah. do do something else because this you have to rely on other people to do this. But, yeah. But before we go too much further down that road, I do want to take a little bit of a step back. And let's let's mm-hmm. refocus on you a bit, and uh, let's take take it back to the beginning. Where do you come from, and how did you get into casting? Actor. Ah. Actor, actor, actor. From <laughs> and a young when age, I say yeah. Actor, I don't mean the Australian Academy Award. <laughs> um, I I started my my father was a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was director and producer. He produced a, a couple of well-known uh, Australian series here in the 70s and 80s, and he was a, a theatre director. Uh, and my stepmother was an actress. She was pretty big in the 70s and 80s uh, in in films, won, you know, lots of AFI awards. So I sort of grew up in it. And, and I grew up in a smaller town, but I would come to Sydney every school holidays and uh, I would – do some work. And then as soon as I left school, I came to Sydney and got an agent. And uh, my first job was a mini series called Brides of Christ, 
which was a, a really seminal kind of miniseries in the early 90s. It was one of those beloved shows and it sort of went from there and I kept working as an actor but the money in Australia is pretty bad unless you're doing a an ongoing TV series which I didn't want to do at that time of my life. I'd probably do it now. <laughs> uh, but at the time I was like, no, I'm a theatre actor. Um, and uh, But doing that paid very little money. I mean, mm. I think back then I was earning maybe $500 a week working for the state theatre company. So as soon as you finish the show, you have to go back to the restaurant to your waitressing job to um, make some money. So in the in 99, I think it was. Yeah. Gosh, 20 years ago. Um, I went to low 98, maybe it's not. Anyway, around the end of the 90s, I went to London for a little while and just thought I'm just going to be over here and live here for a little while not necessarily as an actor just for some life experience because I hadn't done that ever Uh, and I got a job Uh, well actually I moved over for love I moved to Holland for love because I I fell in love with an Australian golfer of all things people who uh, lived in Holland and I was in Holland for not very long when I went oh I don't think I'm supposed to marry an Australian golfer Um, (laughs) and i adored him we just had very different lifestyles so I ended up in London and I thought I'll just get a job and I'll stay here for a while and I got a job in a fancy restaurant and at the end of my first shift they said oh we've got a and it was a very fancy restaurant they said we've got a um an assistant manager position going we wonder if you'd be interested and I just had this life moment of going oh my god what am I doing with my life I've become such a good waitress (laughs) they they want me to be the assistant manager of this posh London restaurant so I I said thank you very much but I actually am I will be leaving altogether I just and it was because I sort of realized that I wasn't passionate enough about acting to still be waitressing when I was 40, say, because back then 40 seemed really old. <laughs> um, and, and I had lots of friends who were still working in the industry here and having to work selling wine or working in restaurants, which is absolutely fine if you're passionate about the acting part. But I realised that I wasn't it, acting was just something that I'd always done since I was a little kid. I'd never been that kid that thought, when I grow up, I want to be an actor. I'd never had that conversation with myself about mm. what I wanted to do. And I had that conversation with myself in that split second standing in that restaurant and I decided I didn't want to be an actor anymore. And so I came home like a week later and went to my agent, Robin Gardner, the amazing Robin Gardner was was my agent back then, and um, I said, I don't want to be an actor anymore. And she said, hold my calls. And, uh, and we had a conversation. She said, what do you want to do? And I said, I have no idea. I went, I, I, I don't know. I just, I like houses. Maybe I could be a real estate agent. I said, I just know I want to do something where what I look like is not important. I'm not relying on so many um, mitigating factors, unmitigating, mitigating, unmi- anyway, so many factors um, to get a job, to be employed. And she said, right. Okay. She said, well, have you thought about casting? And I said, no, no, never occurred to me. What does a casting director do? (laughs) I mean, I'd been in a gazillion auditions. Yeah. Yeah. They were there and they're telling me what to do, but I'd never thought 
about it. An agent, I had more of an idea and I knew that I didn't want to do that because you have to deal with actors complaining at you all the time. But she suggested it. And then I, the next day I said, oh, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And the next day I got a call from a casting director saying, I hear you might be looking for a job. I went in the next day for an interview with her, which was a Friday. And then the following Monday I started um, working in her office. That was Faith Martin. who's a huh. So she gave my, my start as a as a casting director um and I was terrible for six months I didn't know how to give up my my nightlife (laughs) my and just the the idea of having freedom having to suddenly be in an office at nine o'clock in the morning it's like what it was like going back to school Uh and I didn't realize I didn't know how to turn a computer on like I literally didn't know how to turn a computer on I was terrible somebody asked me to fax something I went over to the photocopier and I was like where do I put the paper in (laughs) (laughs) but I was good in studio I think she realized Ah. pretty quickly I was terrible at all of the admin stuff uh and she very quickly within about four days she kind of went okay you're gonna go in there and start directing the actors so I I was in studio very quickly and that's where I excelled I think because I was very comfortable working with actors I'm still terrible on the computer terrible um I panicked this morning I was like oh god do I have Skype on my laptop (laughs) (laughs) and you do the login and there's an update and I was like oh no I don't have my assistant here to help me um but anyway, so I stayed with Faith for um, six months and then I moved on to another casting director, Greg Apps, who was prototype casting back then and I worked on films like Chopper as an assistant. And then after about 18 months there, I, I went out on my own. So that would be around about 2002 uh, and I've been, yeah, had my sure. own business since then. So Was that really Boring. I'm no, so sorry. No, not at all. The beginning of everybody's life, how they get to this industry is always super fascinating to me. The fact that you mm. come from an entertainment family is that makes me very jealous uh, because <laughs> I, I really wanted that when I was growing up. I grew up on a, in a, a farm town in Arkansas in the middle of nowhere. See, that sounds amazing to me. It was That's wonderful. where I want to be now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll go back there someday for sure, but yep. I've got to get some shit done before I go back. <laughs> And, and, you know, just seeing how everybody kind of comes to this and how different, you know, one of the things that I've learned through doing the show is that a main thing that casting directors trade on is their taste. Um, so, and I think one of the things that leads to taste and, and that gives us our taste is all of the experiences that we have when we're young. Uh, the mm-hmm. things that bring us into this industry very much set our taste. And speaking of 2002... Yeah. Uh, I Mm. want to talk about a really early project of yours. It's not necessarily the first uh, that you're credited as a casting director on or in the casting department on, but Mm. it is a short film uh, in 2002 called New Skin. Uh, It's it's about 52 minutes long, budget of about 30K, directed by Anthony Hayes. Uh, There's Jessica Napier and a really, really young Sam Worthington, and then he's gone. Um, It's all really well acted. Was this the first kind of venture out on your own? Mm, I I couldn't even tell you if I was still with Greg there or working on my own, but Tony, Anthony Hayes and I did a play together for Sydney Theatre Company in 1997. Okay. Uh, That was his first ever theatre show. Uh, Yeah, so... He he and I had sort of come up through the ranks as as actors as well. So he was, and he's still a very very close friend. So 
that came about because we were friends and he was like, hey, you work in casting, great, I get you to do stuff for me for free. Um, you know, and I'd met this this young Sam Worthington who'd just graduated from NIDA and he was young and cocky and charismatic and um, and we used to but, – but we used to ha- hang out together as well. You know, mm-hmm. we'd hang out at Hayes's place or Matt Reader who – I can't remember if he was a producer on the film, but Matt uh, – Matty um, – yeah, all those, all those guys, and that so, was you know Hayes's first attempt at directing something as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, and the next one I want to talk about, we're going to skip a few years. Um, one because I couldn't find a lot of things for some reason. A lot of Australian cinema and television is is unreachable from the United States, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so I'm having to go through back yeah. channels to find some of these things. We're going to skip forward a bit oh, uh, to 2010 with Animal mm. Kingdom. Um, Animal Kingdom. <laughs> Animal Kingdom is yeah. an incredible film. Uh, yeah. It's it's one of my favorite action drama uh, crime family stories because it's so simple. Uh, it's so downplayed. Like it's here we have all of these you know crime boss families in New York and it's big and it's this is a much smaller, tighter family. Um, yeah. The cast is really great. Uh, it's a wonderful property in and of itself. It's on TV now. Jackie Weaver in this movie is incredible. Um, yeah. I want to talk about James Freshville and, and, and the character of Jay. Uh, yeah. This was his second acting gig, um, according, to, according to IMDb. Um, and I, and yeah. I assume he probably did theater and stuff before. Where did you, where no, did you, just who, he was just a high school kid. Was he? Okay. Where did he come from and how, did, yeah. how did you become aware of him? Oh, because I did community casting. So we, uh. we emailed and spoke to pretty much every high school in Victoria, the state of Victoria. Um, I tend to, back then it's, I mean, it's a bit easier now to get people to come to you because of social media, but at that time in Australia, you used to be able to go to high schools and you'd go to high schools and I don't usually go to the drama departments a lot of the time because a lot of the time the drama kids are really the middle class kids who are not from rougher backgrounds. You can go to rougher schools though, but often they don't have drama departments. But So you go to the English classes um, and look around, but then we – we got this period that you couldn't actually physically go to schools because of everybody getting paranoid about everything. Um, there was a there was a photographer here called Bill Bill Henson, I think it was, uh, and there was a bit of controversy because he took photographs of young and they were like artistic photographs that everybody suddenly cited were pornographic, um, and they weren't, but they were sort of semi nudes of young girls mm-hmm. and. Um, it, it just, it became such a big deal in this country that getting permission to go into schools, even though we had nothing to do with photography or anything like that, it just became impossible. So what we would do would be, we'd contact schools and ask the English teachers to maybe say there are a couple of kids or just even put a flyer up or somehow get the word out and get them to get in contact with us. And then we set up open auditions. So I was doing weekends with like 10 kids every hour and I'd do little workshops and then I'd end up doing callbacks um, with with kids. Um, yeah, so we got him to – so he was just a kid from a 
from high school, and so was Laura Wheelwright. She'd never she who played. Mm. Okay. So neither of them had ever done any professional acting before. I mean, um, it's so rare to it's so rare to see somebody with such little experience play the backbone to such a, mm. a story that is, uh, well, I mean, you're amongst a really, really seasoned cast of top-level professionals. Mm. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of shocked by it because it, it happens so rarely, especially here in the States. Is there mm. more opportunity for that sort of thing to happen in the well, types of films that you've done? They were 17, so I think that makes a difference. Mm. Um, I believe that you can – I mean, you can find great talent anyway. You can still find older actors who have never – I mean, older people who have never done anything, but it's going to be rare maybe that they're going to be able to carry a lead role. That said, I've just cast a Sudanese man. We found he was a garbage truck driver, and he's playing the lead role opposite Hugo Weaving in a film that will be coming out later this year. That's incredible. Um, and it's about, it's about a, a – a, Sudanese, South Sudanese refugee in Australia, and he is a South Sudanese refugee in Australia. Uh, you know, but it just depends on the style of directing. And what happened with James and Laura, I'd done all of these sessions with the community and we kind of kept narrowing it down and we kept bringing James back. And David Misho, the director, had always, and this is kind of where the collaboration comes along. It's not like he just went, I saw him and it was immediately right. He saw James and we knew that he was good, but David had always imagined and he always said to me, you know, like a little River Phoenix type of guy, like a young, like a young innocent, not an older River Phoenix, but that young, wide-eyed, he shouldn't be in this world with these grown-up men. And it came down to James and another young Australian actor called Harrison Gilbertson, who is incredible, and he was ex Harry was exactly the brief. He was exactly the brief, and we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it, and Dave just still wasn't making a decision. He's like, I just, I don't know, though, there's something about James, but he's just not ever what I imagined. And I said, okay, this is your homework this weekend. You need to go home. You need to go back to the script, your script. I know that you wrote it, but you you can't see the whole thing. You need to go back and you need to read it twice and you need to read it once through with Harrison in your mind. Then you need to read it again with James in your mind. And hopefully that will, you know, completely, um, hopefully that will make it clear. And it did because he called and he went, it's James. And I said, okay, why? And he said, because I got to the scene where Pope, Ben Mendelssohn's character, yeah. comes home and he asks Jay to go and steal a car. Uh -huh. And he said it just suddenly didn't make sense that he would be asking the scared, innocent kid to go and steal a car. It made sense that this big, boofy kid who just doesn't say much, he looks like a grown man and he's just not. Yeah. It makes so much more sense. And I was like, there you go. Um and I that's love that. how that decision was made in the end. And it's something I do with directors all the time. I'm like, go back to the script, go back to your script, go back to your script. Ultimately, it is their decision. And we can sit there and talk about qualities and what this kid will bring to it or what this adult will bring to it. But you've got to go back to your script, not just watch these two audition scenes or three audition scenes. You've got to go through your whole script and read it, particularly with lead roles, with the whole film in mind because then you might get to a beat where you go, oh, that's that's not going to work. Uh -huh. 
Um, so that's that's how, yeah, that's how that happened. And similar with Laura as well. Laura just felt we had another actress who came down again to a really experienced young Australian actress and Laura who'd done nothing. And ultimately James and Laura just fit the world better. They didn't feel, even though they're actually both middle class, um, but they didn't feel like actors. Yeah. They just felt very real. Well, and, and that's, that's, what... that's one thing that I have taken note of with your casting from, from this film to The Rover, which is another one I want to talk about, uh, mm-hmm. to, to uh, <laughs> there, there's a realness to these characters and to the people that play these characters around the the leads you know you've got you know animal kingdom has joel edgerton and craig cody and ben mendelson and guy pierce but they still they they have this ability to be high class low class middle of the road there and i think that that's something that a lot of actors don't necessarily have especially it's one of the hardest things to do i think is to cross class i agree i absolutely for working agree. class to 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 go upper class and for upper class to to because people tend to want to go into a caricature and some people can do it though and they're amazing like someone like michelle dockery i think i think she's a nice london girl do you know michelle dockery from downton abbey yes yes you know and she plays upstairs and at the time i remember in england there are a lot of casting directors going michelle dockery she shouldn't be cast upstairs she's she's downstairs <laughs> but she's <laughs> She was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's and that's something that Joel can do. I mean, I think Joel is one of the best actors yeah, in the world. I've incredible. always thought that. And I've talked to American casting. Oh, and director now. I mean, it's ridiculous. I had no clue ridiculous. that he wrote and wrote some of the yeah. movies that, like, that's that's amazing. And yeah. to be able to, he, he juggles things well. Yeah, um, he does. He's a, he's a workaholic. He's a great person. And... He is just so ridiculously talented. Him and his brother, Nash, they're both very talented people. Uh, but people didn't in America until Animal Kingdom didn't know what to do with Joel. He, he had a career there, sort yeah. of, but it wasn't quite opping. And, and I'd talk to casting directors about him and they'd be like, we just don't know where to where to put Joel. Like he's not a leading man. But he's, I'm like, why? Yes, he is. Yeah, like he what, is. Are you even, what are you even talking about? Same with Ben but, Mendelsohn. Same with, yeah. same, oh. same with, uh, same with even, uh, I mean, a lot of people in that cast ended up yeah. like that opened the floodgates to. Everybody just needs to see it. People don't I, take yeah. risks. The taste is in the pudding for sure. in America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody in America wants to know who's hot, who's about to be hot, you know, uh, and, and the other thing I think in America, because for a while I look and I still think about it and I think, oh, maybe I should be working in America because there is something about working on a level of film where I can go, I can send the script to Meryl Streep yeah. without it being ridiculous. You know, I, to be able to work on projects where you have access to any actor in the world is very, very um, enticing. But I think also often when I work on American jobs, you can sense it everywhere from agents to um, casting directors to writers uh, every single department, everyone seems to be working from a level of fear constantly, a fear of losing their job. Yeah. Um, you know, casting directors that are terrified because if they didn't show someone, um, you know, somebody who's about to be a star in, you know, I remember an American casting director giving an Australian casting director a bit of a hard time 
I met them and they'd worked on a job here and they said they didn't show me Eric Banner. And I was like, what? What do you, what do you mean? And Eric Banner had just become a star because of Chopper. Uh-huh. But before that, he was a stand-up comedian who was doing comedy on television. And the film that this other casting director working on, Eric wasn't right for anything. I mean, probably nobody would have shown them Eric Banner. Eric Banner as Chopper, everybody in Australia was going, this is ridiculous, this is not going to work. And that came down to the director and the casting director of that film thinking that it would work because I, I believe Russell Crowe actually wanted to play the play the role uh-huh. and everyone just went, but Eric Banner, if Russell will probably make him a hero and he shouldn't be a hero. Eric Banner will make him a bit of a dickhead. And it worked. Do you know what I mean? It, it was work. the right casting. But it doesn't mean that you should just because he played that role that then you have to show Eric Banner for every single role in every We're single film squeeze ever. him into this thing, yeah. But that is what that's what I was talking about in America before with volume. Everyone just goes volume. We need to know that we've considered everybody. Otherwise I might lose my job. Yeah. If I can't say that yet we reached out and he wasn't available or something, everyone will go, Why didn't you show me Eric Banner? You're fired. <laughs> and that's kind of a scary way to work. Yeah. You know? To constantly know. be looking over your shoulder and Yeah. It is it is I, a lot. Yeah. And you know, I believe in in, in you you know, working really hard. We work really hard, but in Australia, you work. You don't really work from a place of fear, mm-hmm. and and that's um, that sounds good. Nice. I mean, I have <laughs> I have American agents scream at me. They yell, they yell so much, and you know, I'm like, why? Hey, why? Are you? I've had to say, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> and they're like, because this and this, and I had a I had a. Oh, can this be off the record? Yes, ma'am. Um. I had an, an agent from and we saw a lot of A-list actors because everyone was desperate to be in David Michaud's next film. Yeah. Robert Pattinson auditioned twice for us. I mean, that could be on the record. That is a lot of people assume that that film, that, again, he came with a movie and I was the one that said, we should audition him. It might be interesting. It might be really bad, huh. but it might be interesting. I don't know him from anything other than Twilight, but he wants to fight for this role because it's completely out of the box for him. So that's great. let's let him audition. So we came in and we did a session with the director and, and he left and David and I looked at each other and we're like, he was really good, right? Like that was, that was really good. And then we were still kind of a bit nervous about casting the twilight guy. We were like, we've got to get back, get him back in and do some more work just to make sure we're not like, it's not just because he's, famous and there are other famous guys who auditioned yeah but he just did the most amazing audition and i have to say i think i'm I'm glad that you brought him up because i wanted to bring him up in the rover i think the rover is an awesome movie guy pierce is always great scoop mcnary is a phenomenal actor as well but robert goes somewhere for this role he becomes a different person he he yeah and and i had the same thought was oh robert pattinson's in this that's weird yeah. But, but then you see him and he is so like simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he's done it a couple times to me before. Ever, the more and more I see him after the whole Twilight thing, the more I realize yeah. he is a great actor. He just he got yeah. that Twilight push and everybody's like, oh, I don't know if I can cast the Twilight guy. 
and and that's what happened to us. And I'm actually very proud. Like I was irritated later, of course, because everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you just cut, you just got cast because he was famous." It's like, no, he was cast because he fought for it. He went and worked with an acting coach before his audition. Yeah. Like he worked really, really hard, and I think that he deserved. He also like I, I'm very proud that 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 we auditioned him and were open to that and didn't just go the cool kind of, you know, indie indie route and gave him an opportunity. But I'm also deeply respectful of of Robert actually fighting for that because a lot of people don't want to put themselves up for rejection once they're at that kind of offeroni stage. And he could have gone on and done heaps of teen movies and all of that. Oh, yeah. And but he turned up and he looked like he was dressed from I, th- I was like, oh, my God, did you go to Kmart for your clothes as well? Because And a lot of the guys did. They turned up in their cool leather jackets and looking like Hollywood movie stars. Mm-hmm. And he he just had grungy old sneak. He looked terrible. I was like, oh, you're so interesting. But anyway, moving on, when we cast that. him, an agent from CAA, you can actually probably say this because I won't say who the agent was, um, but called me and was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, well, what? She went, Robert fucking Pattinson? Really? <laughs> was like, yeah. She was like, oh, my God, that you've just killed your fucking movie. That ki- that guy cannot act. He's fucking terrible. This is fucking insane. Again, I was like, oh, why are you yelling at me? Because <laughs> I wanted my guy to get it. You're fucking insane. I was like, okay, well, you're kind of insulting me right now because yeah. he auditioned. I was in the room and he was amazing. And he fought for it and you are going to eat your words. And on the inside, I'm going, oh, my God, I hope you're eating your words. I hope you're eating your words. <laughs> I hope he's amazing in this movie or I will never work again. Um, except, of course, nobody ever gives you credit for casting them because they're famous. So they assume you had nothing to do with it. But anyway, when the movie came out, I got a call from that agent and I'd forgotten all about it. And uh, I picked up the phone and I just heard... I was wrong. Oh, and I was like, I love it. I'm, I'm sorry, what? She said, I've just seen the movie. I was wrong. He's fucking incredible. So we will never talk about this again. That but is so great. Saying it, I was wrong. Congratulations. And I was like, okay, there you go. Yeah, don't yell at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm very, I mean, oh. some great people for that. So that movie and other people, and, and that also you get down to this thing, you're going, oh, my God, I can't. It's so sad that we can only cast one person. There are a couple of great British actors who who auditioned as well. And, look, and that can come down to actually though Robert was always, he genuinely was the best. But there are a couple of other Brits, funnily enough it was mostly Brits, who really came close to what he gave us. But Robert was more famous, so then it can tip the balance. You uh-huh. go, well, uh, I'm, I don't think for a second the Twilight audience is going to come and see this movie. It's not that kind of movie anyway, so it's not really going to help. And it could end up not helping because people will dismiss the movie because they just go, the kid from from Twilight. Um, but I think he got a lot of attention from it and a lot of respect uh, within the industry. So yeah, I think, so I, too. I think it, it worked for him. We really hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Placing Faces. That is part one in the bag. In the next episode, next week, we're going to delve into a lot more of Kirstie's work and the ins and outs of casting. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share this episode. 
It'll make you happier. I promise. Maria Perry, you did it again. Thank you for producing the heck out of this show. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. Connecting companies and creatives seamlessly. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America. They are a hub of information about this branch of the film industry. So to learn more about the society and what it takes to get into casting, you can visit castingsociety.com. You should also check out the Casting Guild of Australia. That is castingguild.com.au. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, be well.